Hello and welcome to another Sabbath School quarterly commentary. My name is Morgan Vincent and I'm pastoring at both Blue Haven and Forester's Beach Churches and that's a real privilege to be able to do that and to be here with you today. But I'm not alone. I've got a good friend and colleague in ministry and his name is... Marcial Hernandez. Marcial, what are you doing? I'm a Bible worker at Haven Church and thanks for the invitation. Yeah, so it's great that we get to work together. And for those that are listening, we were able to be here with you today to look at the series of lessons that we've been going through, focusing in on God's covenant with his people and with the world. And the one today and this week, Children of the Promise, it's really quite special. And before we go any further, Marcel, if you can pray for us before we begin. Yeah, let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to ask you, you Holy Spirit, that he can be the one enlighten our minds and speak through us. Be with us and we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are going through a number of verses and passages and and asking questions. And, And before we do, the first verse that I want to look at is in Matthew 28 and verse 20, and it's the memory text for the week, and, and, and it's one that really is, is quite a powerful text. It says in Matthew 28 and verse 20, Jesus says these words. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This gives confidence for us today, Marcial, living in 2021, that what Jesus said near 2,000 years ago still applies to us today, that Jesus is with us, and the covenants reveal this that God is with us. And today we're going to be looking at that. I want to start with a story. And this is a really cool story. It's a really powerful story. And I'm going to read. It's in your lessons here. And it starts off and says this. It says, A father and his 10-year-old daughter were spending their holidays at the seashore. One day they went out to enjoy a swim in the ocean. And although they were both good swimmers, some distance out from the shore, they became separated. The father, realizing that they were being carried out to sea by the tide, called to his child, Mary, I'm going to shore for help. If you get tired, turn on your back. You can float all day that way. I'll come back for you. Before long, many searchers and boats were scurrying over the face of the water, hunting for one small girl. Hundreds of people on the shore had heard the news and were waiting anxiously. It was four hours before they found her, far from land, but she was calmly floating on her back and not at all frightened. Cheers and tears of joy and relief greeted the rescuers when they came back to land with their precious burden, but the child took it all calmly. She seemed to think that it was strange the way that they had acted. She said, Father, she said, Father said I could float all day on my back and that he would come for me. So I just swam and floated because I knew he'd come. Marcio, with this story, the first question I want to ask you is, how does this story and how does the text of Jesus being with us always relate to covenants? Well, something that I really like is in the story is if we would only have the faith of, of a child, because this is an amazing story, and if we would only just trust the word of Jesus, how much easier would our Christian work, trusting that, Yes, there will be problems, Mm -hmm. but God has promised to be with us always Mm. through those problems. And even the Bible says that even if we walk through the the valley of death with us. And yeah, we'll be looking more into what the covenant means and Mm. what was the covenant that God made with Abraham. And we will see later in the lesson that God was an inclusive God with the covenant. Mm -hmm. He was not being an exclusive God, but that, yeah, that will be coming up. 
Cool. Let's turn to Genesis 15 in our Bibles here. We're looking at this concept of God being a shield to Abram. And in Genesis 15, we'll read verses 1 to 3. And in Genesis 15, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. What would it have meant for Abram to hear those words, Do not fear, I am your shield? What, what comes to mind, Marcel, to think of God saying to Abram, Don't fear, I am your shield? First of all, that's the most quoted promise in the Bible. Mm. Fear not, right? And it's interesting that the use of a personal pronoun Mm -hmm. shows the personal nature of the relationship that God was wanting to establish with Abraham. Like God was going to relate to him like one-on-one, and it's the same way he wants Mm. to relate with each one of us. And that, that promise, I think, gave confidence to Abraham, even though he was doubting and even though he was like a little bit of a distress because he was getting old, heir, no, no children. But knowing that God was the one telling the promise, I think a bit of confidence to him. Yeah, it's the thought comes to mind that God's providence and God's ways, they know no haste or delay. Like God's plans and God's promises, they're not hastily fulfilled and they're not delayed. Like his timing is perfect. And it reminds me of a verse in Psalms 84, verse 11. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And another one in Psalms 144, verse 2, it says, My loving kindness and my fortress, speaking of God, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, there it is again, my shield and he in whom I take refuge who subdues my people under me. And so I really get the the impression and the conviction that God is wanting Abram to take refuge in him as the God who is making a covenant, making a promise. Look, just to revise, I know we've been going through for a few weeks now on the concept of covenant, but just for our listeners, remind us, Marcia, what's a covenant again? Just briefly. A covenant, even in, it would be like, a, in, in the context, it would be like a legal agreement, the creator and the creation Cool. So here we see God saying something to Abram to not fear that God will be his shield. What comes to mind when you think of a shield? Protection. And it's interesting that, that you, use, you use a shield uh, from the attacks of the enemy. When the enemy mm. is going to attack you, you use a, a shield for protection. And if we take a look at the different stories in the Bible, it's interesting that one of the that comes to mind is when the people of God, they were going to cross the Red Sea. God became a shield for them between the Egyptians and them. And God illuminated their path and, and parted the waters and, and, and they walked through the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Another story as well, God protecting Daniel in the lion's den. I, I like to see it as a shield that he protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Daniel from the lions or Jehoshaphat protecting them against the, the Amorites and, and Ammonites. So I think this analogy or this word of shield is to show protection that as long as he remains within the covenant, he will be protected. Something else that comes to mind is that God here, he says to Abram, 
fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Like, it's me. I myself am your shield. And some may read the tail end of verse 1 where, where God says, and your exceeding great reward. Some may think, well, why is God saying that? Marcio, what, when you think of rewards and when you think of gifts, you and I, like, we've both received amazing gifts and amazing rewards in life. But what's God actually saying here? Like, it was the reward the fact that Abram would have children and descendants? Or was the fact that God himself would be Abram's reward? Yeah, I think the second one, himself, Abraham's reward. And not only that, through him, that reward was going to come to the world. I, I just wonder, it's the whole idea of, do we love the gifts or the gift giver? Was Abram more interested in the descendants he would have? or the God who would give him the descendants. And this is something central to the covenants and central to to our relationship with God today is do we have a relationship with God based on what he gives us or based upon the fact that he is God and he promises to be with us always. This is something amazing. Any other thoughts, Marcel? Yeah, another, another, just another thought um, in regards of the shield. Sometimes we have this idea that God is our shield, so nothing bad is going to happen to us, mm. or, or, or everything is going to be smooth. But it's in, we need to remember that we're still living in a sinful world, mm. and good people suffer as well. And But a verse that I always like to have in, in mind is the verse that the three Daniel's three friends... You like that story. I like the story, yeah. <laughs> I like the story when they were about to be thrown into the furnace. Mm. The king... We're serving a, a God so big that he is able to protect. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve you. We're not, we're not going to bow down. And I think that's, that's a cool lesson that we can have in mind. Like, we know that God is going to protect us. We know that God is our shield. But even if he doesn't, we should still trust that his ways are always the best. And we should trust that whatever happens, he is going to be with us those difficult, difficult moments. I want to read a statement here from the pen of Ellen White in, in Selected Messages. It says here, when his people, when God's people are in the greatest danger, seemingly unable to stand against the power of Satan, God will work in their behalf. And then maybe this is a statement, little phrase that we've heard before. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Abram was really reaching the limits from a human standpoint. And that was when it was God's opportunity to display his covenant and to show his covenant to him. Look, let's move on, Marcel, to the promise of Messiah that was made to Abram. But we're going to transition a little bit and we're going to read in Genesis 12, Genesis 18 and Genesis 22. So let's go to Genesis 12 and verse 3. When you're there, Marcel, if you can read for us. Yep, it says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. You all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 18 verse 18 says, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then chapter 22, 18, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. There's this reoccurring phrase and this reoccurring theme that, that through Abraham, all the descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Everyone from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, every person that has ever walked this planet will be blessed through Abraham. That's huge. Yeah. It's interesting, this idea. Sometimes we are very exclusive, uh, even 
in within the Adventist circles sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I was reading the other day an article by Richard Davidson and another one from Desmond Alexander, and they had this idea of that the first sanctuary was actually like the, the, the Garden of Eden. And they have these cool points of like 20 or 30 or 25 similarities between the sanctuary and the Garden of Eden. And you may be thinking like what he's going to say, but it's related to, to mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Because the idea of God when he created the, 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 the Garden of Eden is that from Eden, the humanity was going to expound mm-hmm. and they were going to carry the knowledge and the love of God to the rest of the world. From the garden, they were going to expand to the rest of the world. If the first sanctuary that was Eden showed this purpose, the sanctuary that God gave to Moses was going to have a, a similar purpose. And we can see in that the plan of salvation. And from Israel, from the people of God, from the Jews, it was going to extend the knowledge of God and, and the love of God to all the nations. And it was going to fill all the earth. And I thought it was a, that was a really cool, cool point. That God was not being exclusive. He was being inclusive. He was going to reach all Jews, Gentile, women, men, educated, uneducated people. He was going to try to reach all the earth. And he's just saying that in verse 3, where it says, like, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an idea that God is trying to reach everyone. And you even see that just a, an additional point with the Garden of Eden being a sanctuary of sorts of prototype, if you will, is that the rivers themselves flowed from there out to. And that's, again, another visual of that. And we last we looked at the concept of, or the last couple of weeks, we looked at the concept of the covenant made with Noah. And today we're obviously looking at Abraham and how the entire world will be blessed through him. How on earth could the entire world be blessed through one person? One person who at times was wavering in faith, was timid with faith, and someone who's reaching an old age with a woman who is old, and somehow they have a child, and then that person has a child, and we follow it all the way down. And the thing I love is in simple ways to understand this, we could basically say that the Old Testament is a promise made. All of the books in the Old Testament are all making promises that were made. And then the New Testament, in a nutshell, is that promise fulfilled. So the Old Testament is a promise made and the New Testament is a promise kept or a promise fulfilled. And Paul has the insight to, to say in Galatians, in Galatians 3 verses 8 to 9 and then 27 to 29, Paul says the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The idea of foreseeing, like all of the Old Testament is foreseeing, it's pointing, it's going somewhere, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the non-Jews, if you will, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And he goes further in verses 27 to 29. And he says, for all of you, those in Galatia, All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither, and this is what you were saying before, Marcio, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Perhaps the question is not what the promise and what the covenant that Abraham had with God pointed to, but rather promise and who the covenant that God made with Abraham was pointing to. Uh, and what a lesson for us. Like, 
to be inclusive, sometimes we exclude those that don't think like us. Or we exclude those that they don't believe what we believe. And yeah, I thought it was a, it's like a, a good lesson for each one of us to be inclusive. Okay, I'm going to go a little further. I love the idea of being inclusive and, and, and we see that with God and his covenant and that all nations of the earth would be blessed. In your ministry and, and in your life experience thus far, what are some ways, some very practical ways that we can be inclusive? What are some ways that, that we can be inclusive with our families or our friends or our spheres of influence, ways that even maybe you are right now uh, looking to be more inclusive with those who don't think like you or who don't believe like you? As a Bible worker, I'll, I'll give you an example with Bible studies. I think it's important to respect the opinion of, that someone has, even though it may be different than yours, though maybe you don't share the same opinion or you don't believe what they believe. But I think it's important to to find common areas mm -hmm. that you can agree upon instead of be focusing on the different thing we can be see the areas that we can agree on and not only that but respect as well mm -hmm. the other other persons up it's true that's true let's look a little further we're going to look at how god would make not just how god would would bless all the peoples of the earth through abraham but that he would become a great and mighty nation we see this, and it's important. It's important to the concept of covenant and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And I want to turn our minds to Genesis 46. In Genesis 46 and verse 3, this is some time after Abraham. And in Genesis 46 and verse 3, it says here, And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. Question, and it may seem elementary to ask, but did Abraham see the fulfillment of the promise that he would be made a great and mighty nation? No, he didn't. Did his son? Nope. Did his grandson? Nope. It's interesting. This can sometimes, to look at it for us today, God makes us promises. He, he, he reveals promises in Scripture to us. And sometimes we think, God, why isn't it fulfilled in my life? And perhaps we need to ask the question of, are we wanting those things that God has promised us to be our reward or is God himself our reward? It's interesting because as we see the Jewish nation becoming a great and mighty nation, that can sometimes, as you are talking before about the concept of being exclusive or inclusive, that itself can become a bit of a curse sometimes. Because how could a great and mighty nation miss the whole point of blessing the nations around them. How could a nation like that do it, do you think, Marcel? I think goes tied with what you were saying before in loving more the gifts than the giver. Like when you lose track of the giver and mm. you concentrate and you focus on the things you can have in this life or the things you cannot have in this life, lose sight of God. That's, I think that's dangerous. Mm. And that's what happened with Israel. They were focusing so much in this uh, mighty savior that was going to come to deliver them from the Romans mm. because they wanted to be superior. They wanted mm. to be like the, the, the top nation that they missed the whole point. Yeah. Let's look at the point as you were just touching on there. If you can go, Marcel, to Isaiah 60, chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. While you're turning there, I'll, I'll read from Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6. This is God. This is just before the, the law was given upon Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, God says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... 
then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So this is in part the purpose and the point of this great and mighty nation. It wasn't for themselves, and we could even see that it's not just for the other nations, but it's for God himself. God saying, you're my people, you're my possession. You're the ones that I've rescued from slavery. Tell the world about it. What does Isaiah 61 to 3 say? It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is for behold. The darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So question, why did the Lord God, why did God want to make a special nation out of Abraham's seed, out of Abraham's descendants? Why was there a need for this special nation? Because the, the world, we were in darkness. And, and it's interesting, not only that Israel, Ellen White says that the nation, the Jews, they were the smallest of the, all the other nations. And God was going to, to, to make his name great among this nation. The smaller of the smallest, the weakest of the weakest, and bring light mm-hmm. to... True. But John says, the light came to the world, but man, they rejected the light. This is one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. It says, even those, God here speaking, e- even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. Pause, hang on. Isaiah, how do these other nations have a concept of sacrifices and offerings? Because this great and mighty nation, through their sacrificial system, through, through, their, through the teaching of that, was to spread the knowledge and the true worship and the true knowledge of the true God of heaven to these other nations so that they would have an accurate picture of who God is. And it goes on and it says, For my house will be called a house of prayer for the Jews. No, it says for all peoples. It's like God's house, his house of worship, it was for all peoples. So how can we today, we're going to read now from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, how can we today hold true to the calling God has for us as his people, but also not keep that to ourselves, but share that? How can we arise and shine for our light has come? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marcia, why would God choose, as you said, a small nation to do the work and to fulfill the high calling of telling the world of who God is? Why wouldn't God do it himself? Or why wouldn't God choose angels? Why would he have a nation of basically dysfunctional people? First of all, he could have done it himself. Yeah, he could have done it himself. But Ellen White has a comment on this that it's our privilege to be part of this call that man, as we are fallen in sin, we can preach and we can reach others in the same condition as us. Like angels could have done it, but God has chosen broken vessels like us because we can relate with those we were in the same situation or we are in the same situation and we can relate with those people and another i think another important thing is what a lesson we can learn from abraham jacob and isaac that now we can look back and we can see yeah god fulfilled his promise 
but they didn't see the promise being fulfilled when they were alive. And maybe like for us, I have, well, my grandpa and my grandma, they died years ago, believing that Jesus was going to, to, to come in their time. And they, and, and they died having that promise in their hearts. And I know that when Jesus comes back for the second time, they will be resurrected and there will be that, that promise being fulfilled. But what a, what a relief for us seeing these stories that what God promised, he fulfilled. And we can have this uh, in mind as well, that yes, God has promised that he, he will be back and we just need to hold on that promise, share with, every, uh, with everyone that we can. And even if we die, know that he will fulfill that promise. And what we have the privilege to be part of, to fulfill that high mm. calling of the you of priest. It's true. Look, another verse which helps us understand why God would call a nation is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. The Bible says, For I think, Paul he's saying, For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul saw that his life, the apostles' lives, the life of the early church, had become a spectacle a theatron, as it were, in the Greek. This, And I get the mind, and, and you understand where I'm going with this, Marcel, is that y- you picture like the greatest sporting stadium in the world where there's 100,000 people sitting and they're watching 22 players on a field. Everyone's eyes are glued to every movement of those players. And this doesn't necessarily need to scare us to think, wow, like angels and other people are watching. It should give us the awesome privilege that we have to think, wow, we God's called us. Are you kidding? Like he's called me, he's called you, he's called those that are listening. He's called us to show the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Any thoughts on that before we wrap it up? Yeah, and that's the beauty of seeing the, Bi- the whole Bible as a narrative because as you saw, the Old Testament was a promise made and the New Testament was a promise fulfilled. But it, the, one of the advantages of seeing the, the Bible as a, as a whole narrative is that we can picture ourselves within the narrative, that we have a, a part to play, we have a role to play within the narrative, mm. and that is to, yeah, to spread this good news of the gospel. Hebrews 11, it would be remiss of us to not go to Hebrews 11 at some point in speaking about faith and about the covenants, bring it to a close. Speaking of Abraham, speaking of Sarah, In Hebrews 11 and verse 16, it says, But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In verse 39 and 40 of the same chapter, And all these people like Abraham, people like Sarah, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. He didn't see it, but, Verse 40, God having provided something better for us. That's the theme of Hebrews. There's something better coming. There's something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And so for us today, Marcel, do you have any closing thoughts? Any final comments that you just you have to share with, with our listeners today? When you were reading the, the, the verse in Hebrews, I was just reading as well, the, the passage that it says, that the book of Genesis says that Abraham was rich. He was rich, but he was living in tents. I just wonder like, why? He, like This guy could have just built like a house, a beautiful house, but he was living in tents. And in just verse 10, it's because it's, it says, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says, 
for he waited for the city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham had his eyes fixed on a better world. He has his mind fixed in in, in something that God was going to provide, that it was going to exceed this world. Mm. And I think if we live our lives in the same way, having our eyes fixed on Jesus, not in the, fixed on the things of, the, of this world, better to trust in Him and in those promises that He has to us. It's true. Fantastic thoughts, Marcel. And I, I've thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. And we hope that for you who've been listening, that God Himself would be your reward, that God Himself would be your shield, that we wouldn't miss the mark and focus on the blessings He gives, but we would focus on Him the one who gives the blessings because Abraham had his trials, Sarah had her trials, and even amidst all of that, God still remained faithful to the covenant that the Messiah would come against all odds and that the ultimate fulfillment of that is that better country whose builder and maker is God. And so for us today, looking back to Moses, looking back to Abraham, rather, we can gain courage from that in that we too can look forward to that time when we will see all things restored, the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant. And so to those who have been listening, be blessed uh, as you continue to study and journey through these series of lessons on the covenant.